Father, we come to You as we open Your Word. We ask for Your Holy Spirit to lead us, to open our hearts, to open our minds, to receive from You this morning. We are so amazed, so thankful to know we have the Word of God. You have revealed Yourself to us. We desire to know You more. Cause that to happen this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We're in the 15th chapter of Romans, and I'll be looking specifically at verses 24 through 28 uh, this morning, and then we'll be also looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with the 6th verse. So, first Romans chapter 15, verses 24 through 28. Paul speaking to the Romans, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, in other words, spending some time with them. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been placed, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what was been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And what I want to draw focus on there is, is really quickly is just the fact that Paul's desire to go to Spain. When we're, you know, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but just... Uh, he's going to do it by way of Rome. And it's interesting, he hasn't been there yet, but he says, and by the way, I'm going to stay for a while and, and, and allow you to help me on my way to Spain. <laughs> in other words, it was an expectation from him that they would be willing to participate in that venture. And uh, so the idea that kind of sneaks into this picture is giving, you know, uh, for missionaries, this type of thing, but also, Paul says very clearly, he says, but first I've got to go to Jerusalem. And the reason why I have to go there is because I'm taking a collection that's been taken up from there for them and, and their needs. And I want to deliver it personally is what he's basically saying. So what he's talking about is a time, uh, and it's possible that uh, there's two aspects of what this might mean in the city of Jerusalem in the area of Judea. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, it was prophesied that there was going to be a great famine and, and drought. And uh, it's possible that, that there was needs still remaining from that, as well as just the overall persecution. And I want you to think about this before we, we move into uh, 2 Corinthians. And that is that when a Jewish person, and you think of Jerusalem and Judea, primarily a Jewish converted church, uh, messianic Jews, if you will, is a current term to do, use today. And you have, um, well, let's put it this way. When a Jew would accept Jesus as their Savior, probably the least that would happen to them would be they would no longer be welcome in the synagogue or the temple, uh, that they could be easily cast out of their family. And because of the general population being Jewish, they could even lose their work, their employment, their jobs. Very early in the church history, we look in Acts chapter 4, they were selling their property and bringing it together to, to minister to everybody at the same time. So those who had much were selling off what they had so that they could minister to those who are now suffering through persecution and having their stuff, uh, not having anything to, to survive with. And so now Paul is saying that he's collected an offering. The place that he went to was Macedonia, modern-day Greece. Um, uh, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce 
Uh, it's Achaia, uh, or, uh, and then I heard it pronounced Achia, so I'm not really sure which way to go with it. But uh, those are two parts of Greece, and it's interesting, Corinth, where we're going to be looking at today, is in between them. But it's where modern-day Greece would be today. And he's writing to the uh, Corinth church, where I want to pick up this morning, uh, in the sense of wanting to uh, get them to be involved in, in, in this offering that he's talking about that he mentions in Romans that he's taking to Jerusalem. I want to start then uh, the specific verses I want to look at this morning in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, uh, well, 6 through 15 actually. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, following from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them for all and, and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. And again, the gift they're talking about is an offering that they were instructed to take up for Jerusalem, Judea area, and the suffering saints in, uh, in that area. Now, what I want to quickly do is, is just I quickly move through chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. I'm not going to read all the verses, but just to kind of explain what happens there. Uh, in chapter 8, we start with the first few verses. Uh, and, and I will read those. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, poverty have overflowed in, in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, I can, uh, as I can testify, and beyond their means uh, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus and as, uh, as he has started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is, is, in this collection that they're bringing together, he emphasizes that Macedonia and the area of Greece that he's talking about, actually an, an impoverished area itself, possibly again because of persecution, we don't know exactly, but they hear that there's a problem in Judea and that they're suffering there. There's a need for money and, and resources for food and, and to get by. And Paul's explaining that to them, apparently. And not, not so much, I, I have a picture, it's kind of like Paul went up to them and, and said, yeah, you know, we need to pray for you know, this, uh, what's going on here in Jerusalem. Might have been an approach, something like that. And, and they said, okay, well, what is it? Went, well, we need to pray. Well, we need to do more than pray. Let us be a part of the giving for this. And it's exciting to think about the fact that a church that's sitting in, 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 in its own poverty and in, in, in impoverished area itself would turn around and say, we don't have a lot, but what we have we'd like to share. That is what the body of Christ is called to. 
in the sense of the reason why we give. I'm thinking of last Sunday when we talked about the persecuted church, the fact that we're collecting items to send to, to in this case, will be the, uh, the Syrian refugees. Not, you know, the, it's, it's, and it, it'll be interesting because it's basically the persecuted church reaching out to the unsaved Syrian uh, refugees to help them. And it's just kind of parallel to me, this thought. Here we are in trouble ourselves, but we need to get the gospel to these people as well, and we need to help them, and, and, and we're going to come along and, and, and give with the intent of hopingly opening the word for the seed of God, uh, the preaching of God to be heard, and, and Syrian uh, refugees to be converted. But the idea of giving, the desire to want to do it, there was no coercing and saying, well, you know, these are your brothers and sisters. You should, you know, and, and kind of like a twisting of the arm saying, you know, this is your obligation. It was the idea that before they even got a chance to really, you know, uh, Paul get a chance to really talk about it, they said, we want to participate. We want to be a part of this. This is to be our drive, the way we respond to the needs around us. I will share that uh, I have seen this congregation be exactly like that over and over and over again. And I will tell you, it's interesting, and, you know, and it's hard not to be proud when it comes from a pastor point of view, and you hear somebody else talking about your church and their, you know, how they helped them or something like that. But the number of times that this church has come alongside people who aren't even a part of the congregation, but extended part of the body of Christ or in other areas, uh, you know, helping get involved in shipping containers of rice to to Liberia when they were in their civil war, and just different things that that over and over and over again, beyond regular giving, people being very generous. And that is a sign of, of people who have, are getting the right picture of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ on a larger scale than the room that we're in now. And that's what Paul was trying to really grasp here and get a, a hold of for us to see, is that the body of Christ is bigger than the congregation that you're in. It's bigger than the community you're in. It is a global thing. And if you think about it, for them to, to, to get uh, an offering taken in Greece and get it to Jerusalem, uh, you're talking about you know, months of, of, of activity before it can happen. Today we can almost do it overnight uh, in a sense of bank transfers and all sorts of kinds of things that we can do. So the planning that went on to do this was, was quite extensive. There's a principle that I want to, to, to get to here. Is, is, is Part of it is seen in verse 5. Paul's saying, we weren't expecting your, your response. In other words, it, it go back to verse 4. You were begging us earnestly for favor of talking, taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected. You know, we didn't, we didn't set out to, 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 you know, we didn't see this reaction coming. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It tells us that these people were first surrendering to God and saying, whatever we have, the implication here, uh, the implied thought here is, whatever we have is God's. We surrender to God. We have surrendered ourselves to God. Therefore, we are ready and able to do whatever God directs us to do. This is so important. This is one of the principles that we have to get grasp in the sense of giving. You know, I, 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 some of you might have seen, you know, God loves a cheerful giver and thinking, oh, here comes one of those you know, tithing sermons or something. If you know me, I'm not, I, I very rarely get into it unless it comes up in the passage of, of, of going through the Word because I see giving as a very private thing, very personal thing, but there's still this picture of collectively working together to do it. We've seen that over and over in our congregation and it's been very, it, it's, it's, there are times we need to do that. But the first thing was they surrendered who they were to God and said, everything that is mine is from you. Thank you, Lord. I give it to you. Your will be done. What is it you want us to do? If we need to, and you could see it, if they're impoverished, they could take the attitude of saying, if we need to take, you know, take a, a, a day of week of fasting and take that money, whatever it takes 
we are going to help. And they were committed to it. This, this idea of first to God and then to, to them was, was just, uh, it's, it's just, you can't get over the, the importance of that. We get that whole picture from what Christ has done. Christ is the one that gives us the real example. Look in verse 9 of, of, of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, might, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus even set the stage of what it is to surrender everything to God's purpose and then say, okay, here I am. And I think of, of, of Isaiah, here I am, use me, you know, send me. It's interesting if you, if you read through Act, uh, or, uh, chapter 8, verses 16 through 24, you're going to see how Paul plans to get the offering from Greece to Jerusalem. And Titus is, is the key figure mentioned, but it says there's also mention of a famous preacher of God. You know, someone who's noted for his preaching. And uh, a lot of uh, scholars think that he's referring to Luke. And so we might have uh, Titus and Luke and then Paul himself going. And somebody pointed out, and I thought it was interesting, the importance of, of protecting each other and the giving of God, the giving to God's work. You, you don't see Paul just taking charge of the, of the resources. St. Paul says, you know, Paul's saying, well, I'll take care of this, I'll get it there. He's saying, Titus is going and, and he's going to be helping with it. He's part of this. And this preacher that you all know, he's going with us. And as a result, the idea is, is it's protecting the money in the sense of, 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 of keeping the integrity of the people even taking the money. There's a principle there in the sense of even using you know, money in church. Whenever, uh, I, I think it was uh, uh, Ray Stedman uh, uh, years ago was saying, if you're ever in a church where the pastor signs the checks, counts the money, and, does the, you know, and his wife does the books, uh, beware. Uh, it's you know it's it, the the giving is an extremely sacred thing. It's an act of worship, and it needs to be accounted for and protected. And 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 people need to have the confidence that it's being taken care of properly. I'm sure that the Corinthians could look at this and say, "We know Titus, we know Paul, and we know preacher X is all I can call him because they didn't name him." And, and we feel confident that together they will get this money there the way it's supposed to, and it will be used for what it's supposed to be used for. Uh, how many of you are familiar with, you know, I'm, I shouldn't say it that way, and that should have been a rhetorical question. How many of you are familiar with Billy Graham? You know, uh, you know, uh, you know but the idea of, of you know, Billy Graham in, in, in places where he was going to do his big crusades and stuff, and where he would have uh, uh, pastor conferences almost always first and training conferences and stuff first, he published in their, big, uh, in their newspapers his accounting for the year in the local newspaper. So everybody could see this is anything that happens here, if we collect anything here, this is how it's used. He up front was letting them know, you know how we, that we are accountable, and he has always been so cautious you know, he, he steps back and basically says, you know, this, these people over here handle the money. These people over here, not me. Uh, and and that, that idea of, of honoring and being accountable. And that was what Paul was doing there. Honoring their giving and, and, and being accountable. Protecting the integrity of the, of the giving and, and the gift. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, Paul encourages the Greeks to be ready with their offering when he comes uh, through, you know, with, uh, to, to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to come through and pick it up, and he wants it to be ready to go. And I'm not going to get into the details of those verses, except for verse 5. So I, saw, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange and advance the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. A willing gift. 
I, there's no coercion to give. There's no manipulation to give. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been to uh, uh, either publicly or on television uh, and, and, and seen on, in a ministry where you know there's a, almost a you know a real pouring out of of, of details and things to kind of pull at your heartstrings and and almost to a point of manipulating the audience to get into an emotional context to where they feel like they have to give. I was at one place and, 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 and the person says, and when you get your wallet out, if you can't give $20 at least, you shouldn't give anything. It's worth, giving your to the Lord is more sacred than that or something like that. But I remember the distinct quote was, you know, a minimum gift should be $20 anytime. You open your wallet to give to the offering. You know, and, and, and just... You know, all of a sudden, you know, you have people looking in their wallet and kind of like crumple up their money and just kind of put it in, you know. Uh, intimidation, all sorts of things that happen where people get into a point where they feel obligated to give. I've, been, I've seen this in church building programs. And people say, why do church building programs divide congregations? A lot of it has to do with the way the gifting is approached. And it can be... You know, it, that point where you're you're almost not a willing participant, but you don't know what else to do. Paul says that's not the way we act here. <laughs> you know, your gift is to be one of a willingness. Uh, it's not it's not been coerced, and it also needs to be this idea of, of exaction means uh, not with expectation of anything in return either. In other words, you're not being coerced to do this, but. Also, you shouldn't. Your giving needs to be of such a nature that you're giving it without any expectation of something coming back. And again, that kind of runs against human nature. You know, I, uh, gee, uh, George and, and 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 George have invited me over, you know, had us over for dinner twice. You know, we owe them a dinner, or we, you know, they so and so invited us out to dinner and. And I guess now we need to invite them out to dinner. Kind of that obligation to pay back or vice versa. I've invited them out to dinner three times and every time we pay, when, when are they going to open their wallets, you know? Um, uh, but uh, this, this idea of, of, of giving with an expectation of getting something back. And I will get into this in just a minute, but what he's concerned about is getting something back in the sense of personal benefit. In other words, I'm going if I give, I will get back and I will be better off than when I gave. I'm going to get benefit. It's like an investment. I have to say I have heard some preaching like that. You know, can God bless a gift and give it back tenfold, hundredfold? Absolutely. Is he obligated to? No. If you're giving with that context of giving, you've got the wrong attitude. So Paul's making sure you're giving this freely, you're not being coerced, and you're giving it so freely that you don't expect anything in return. I think it's important that we grasp that. Paul emphasizes it. I look at verses uh, you know, 6 through 15. Uh, and it's it's uh, the picture of of uh, uh, well one person put it giving 101 you know like you go to take a course giving 101 uh, and and the the first thing he starts off with in verse six is uh, if if you sow sparingly you're also going to reap sparingly if you sow bountifully you're going to reap bountifully. Well, right there, it sounds almost like a contradiction to what he just said. You know, he just said, don't go give, you know, with expectation. But wait a minute, if I sow, meaning give, if I give sparingly, you know, kind of begrudgingly or holding it back a little bit, uh, it, 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 I will reap from it sparingly. But if I give bountifully, I will reap bountifully. And so you look at this and say, well, what's Paul trying to do here? He just said that we're to give this without expecting anything in return. Uh, 
you know, to give freely, to give generously. You know, the, you know we add to that. Uh, I read this, you know, one article, you know, you give freely, generously, regularly, and cheerfully. Um, and here he's saying, you know, sow and reaping have a, re, a re, of course, if you give bountifully, you'll reap, you'll, you'll reap bountifully. So he goes on to explain what he's talking about. How do we get to this point? First off, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So again, he's emphasizing this idea of you know, no compulsion, no coercion to give. But the thing that's so important to me and I, and I, and I latch on to here is each one must give as he or she, the person, individual, has decided in his heart implied when you say decided in your heart that you've been in prayer about this. You've gone before the Lord and you feel a conviction in your heart, this is what God is leading me to give. I'm not being told that I, you know, I have to give this much. I get, or this is the minimum to give. But pray and just come up. It's like the, 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 the cards that you get where somebody's requesting money, uh, you know, a gift, and it says, and it jumps to $500 or something. Uh, The implication was, you know, you feel almost guilty if you say, well, I've got us $5, you know, because there's not a box for that. That's even a mild form of manipulation and and coercion in a sense. If you feel, I really, you know, to give to this or give to this type of ministry, to this type of outreach, as a result, I really tell people you need to really look up and study and find out who it is that you're being asked to give to. Uh, and a lot of charities, including Christian charities today, are scams. It's sad to say. So be very careful about what you get on the Internet, what you get uh, in the mail, and this type of thing, because uh, you want to make sure that you check them out. And so anyway, this, this you know, he's saying, I want to make sure that you, again, that as you, as you give, it's something that you have decided on between you and God. Not under compulsion. And the idea here of not reluctantly means begrudgingly in a sense. Giving was something that I had to grow into. Uh, I knew from a very early stage that I needed to be giving, but I didn't know how much. I'd heard the word 10%. And, and I actually asked several people uh, in the congregation that we were in, and I got uh, several answers about 10% of what? Uh, 10% of everything, including your garden. Uh, it goes back to something Jesus had said. Or you know, 10% of your gross income. Or is it 10% of your net income, and then when you get your Social Security, then you'll tithe on that. Um, you know, there was just all sorts of combinations and, and ways uh, people saw of doing that. Um, and then the, the argument as to whether 10% is even uh, a fair statement based on the New Testament never says, and Paul never says, thou shalt give a tithe of your income. By the way, it's never said. The closest that we come to is Jesus using some, some comments about the Pharisees and their tithing. He never suggests that their tithing is wrong, but their attitude was the issue. Okay, I will make one comment, though, about that in reference to tithing and the reason why I say, see it as a principle. If you go to Hebrews chapter 7, and it talks about the giving of Abraham to Melchizedek. He gave a tenth. That And Melchizedek is a type of Christ. There's no, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. If it's not Christ himself, it's a type of Christ, meaning a picture of Christ. And that was before the law. There was a principle about tithing. Abraham wasn't asked for it. He saw it as something to do. And uh, we follow suit before the law. There are several other instances where tithing occurred. So I look at it as a, a basic principle but it ha- it's still, it's not between you and me or between the elders and you or a finance committee and you. It's between you and God. 
And I will. I know that there's some people that that you know are in poverty, even in Fortuna. And giving is something that it's really hard. Then at that point, I tell you, you know, go to God in prayer and and ask Him how much you can give. Be careful with it. Start out at a, a number that that you can handle. God may allow you to grow in that. Or it may be something that you might have to even back off a little. But the idea is is that what what God is looking for is a faithful and cheerful giver. Someone who can give and and not reluctantly. And the idea of reluctantly where I was a minute ago was that idea of begrudging. Kind of where you sit back at the end of the year and you get your your, your, uh, tithing or your giving statement. Uh, and it says that you gave X number of dollars, and you're thinking, oh, I could have put a down payment on a car with that. Or I could have, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it, it's not even, it doesn't even cross your mind. It's to get to the point where we're, and, and that's a growth process, by the way. It's to get to that point where there's, there's no hesitation about what it is between you. And that's why it's a personal thing. It's why it's between you and God. It's to be that point where there isn't a hesitation. There's no reluctance. There's no begrudging. There's no coercion. It's a gift of your worship. I put down here, you know, on my thing, how do you know how much to sow? (laughs) You know, it says don't sow sparingly. You know, uh, again, Jesus put, uh, or Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Giving uh, weekly, as they gathered weekly, to give as God prospers you. Okay, well, God has given me this much money at this point in time in my life, and based on where I am with everything that I have to do to survive, I can give this much. God will honor that gift, no matter how big or how small it is, because it has nothing. It's God has prospered me to the point where I can do this. What if God all of a sudden prospered you Amazingly more. What, what, what do you think might be required of you? Well, I, I you know, it's one of those things. You, you, you say, you know, if I had, all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 you know what, would be a, what would you consider an amazing gift that would, would change your life? Okay? And, you know, someone might say, well, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I'd have all my debts paid off. This, or this, or this, or this. I would be, you know. And of course, I would give ten percent to the Lord. So you've come to that conclusion where ninety thousand dollars would be uh, a very handsome entitlement to, to your, your to your lifestyle. What if it were a million dollars? Well, of course, I'd give 10% to the Lord, 100000 But now I'd have $900,000. Wait a minute, just the day before when we were talking about this, 90000 was going to be sufficient to really make you happy. Why do you need 900000 What What changed in, the, in your needs between the day before and the next day in discussing this issue? And I do this with kids in, 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 in you know, youth groups and stuff like that. What changed? Why, why is it all of a sudden you need $900,000 now? What if you just kept $90,000 and gave you know, $910,000 to the Lord? If $90,000 was all you needed. And they say, oh, no, well, that's not what it says to do. It, no, it doesn't say how much to give. It says as God prospers you. That is the actual thing we're looking at. Now, I'm not suggesting that because you've got a bigger plan than the plan that you have to give it all away. But I'm saying I have seen people who have come into large sums of money very quickly and their, their lifestyle changed radically. I'm thinking of that, that, that one guy at, at, at uh, uh, the, the church in, in uh, San Jose. I can't remember where, where the, the guy that sang bass was the pastor. Uh, but anyway, uh, he, you know, the, there was a gentleman in there who became extremely rich very quickly through a uh, garage industry in, in, in computer software. And he'd come up with something, and, the, and a, uh, a company came up and bought him out with a huge, large sum up front and an a, uh, eight-figure annual, that's 10-plus million, annual 
uh, fee uh, for, uh, for the rest of his life, basically. And it could be more than that, but never less. And he went to Los Gatos Hill, bought a, uh, a big house. Uh, you know, I always joke about it this way, Cadillac for each foot. And, and just, you know, just and about a year and a half into it, he said, wait a minute. There's something amiss here. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't feel good about the way this is working. And he was watching it. Even he thought it, thought it was really kind of affecting his family. They had a family sit down and said, we're going to have to change this. This is wrong. God has prospered us greatly, and we're not doing what we need to by this. And they came all to agreement. They got rid of the house in Los Gatos Hill, moved to a very nice neighborhood, drive a nice Buick instead of a Cadillac. You know, I mean, it was, in other words, you know, it was the idea was he scaled down, still pampered themselves. He is one of those people who switched the role. He went from 10% giving to 90% giving and 10% for himself and still lived extremely well. And it, what's interesting is God actually prospered that business to where his, his annual residual grew. And what they decided to do is they put a group of pastors together from different churches to decide what to do and made a, a trust. To, and, and all this money went straight to missions. And it became a point where they would support missionaries totally. So a missionary didn't have to come back and go to 15 different churches to, to keep their income going. They could come back home and relax and rest, actually. And maybe teach for a while and then go back to the mission field. And they completely supported their missions this way. And uh, I'm just sharing, you know, the, 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 the amount is, is really the thing we get hung up on is the amount. And that's really not the issue as much as, as God prospers you. Do I believe that the tithe is a principle? Yes, I do. But if anything, it's, 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 it's the idea of as God prospers. And you're not always going to be in the same place financially. You're not always going to be able to give as much or you might be able to give more at any given time. Church in Macedonia. Because of God's grace to them, they wanted to be a part of the giving to Judea uh, even though they were in poverty. And so they were willing to give what, what another term that I would put into this, sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is the idea of giving where you might have to give something up to do it. I, I don't know how to, to deal with that other than just that's all I can say about it. Is, you know, that's again between you and the Lord. I know some people who choose a lifestyle that is reduced from their income in order to be able to be more generous with what they have in the sense of giving. And that kind of sacrificial giving, I will tell you, I believe has an impact on your life in the sense of, of drawing you into the ministries that you support. You become more of a part of them. And you're, you're not going to be this kind of a giver, and that's the kind of, the, that Macedonia obviously was. You're not going to be that way unless you're first giving yourself to the Lord, as they were doing. Uh, seeking God's direction and surrendering their heart to Him and coming up with an amount. And, and, and Paul talks about it at another point. He says, an agreed upon amount that you set aside on a weekly basis you know, to, to come up with. Again, God's not looking at us uh, to be reluctant givers or, or under compulsion, but willingly. Uh, and, and then this idea of a cheerful giver. I'm not sure even the, the word I, I, I was I, I done this. I have to confess the word cheerful is is the, the, the word today. If you went back to it, we get the word hilarious from it. You know, and the idea of somebody in a full belly laugh. You know, uh, yeah, and and just uninhibited. 
I don't have, have you ever had that point where something is just so funny that you, you're out of control in your laughter? Does it feel good? <laughs> until you can't catch your breath, I guess, until your stomach starts to hurt. My wife has, has seen me, uh, you know, on the floor at some times. You know, I mean, just I can't get control. There's a sense of elation to it and everything. The, the idea of a cheerful giver, you know, you know, the idea of this totally given over to it. While there's, a, there's that in the Word, I was told, uh, and I read this uh, just a while back, but be careful about taking Greek words in today's meanings and trying to bring them back to that culture. Uh, the idea of a cheerful giver was just simply tied to the idea of the not reluctantly, willingly, cheerfully, meaning with a happy accord between you and God. Does that mean that every time you give it's going to be easy? No. But it was the idea was that, but I'm released to do this. I know that I'm at peace with God. I am a, I'm in a relationship that I know this is where God has led me to do this much. And I've been told also, I've heard the sermons, if you can't be a cheerful giver, don't give at all. That's not biblical. Now, I'm not protecting my income. The idea is that sometimes you have to grow into that just like any other aspect or character trait that God wants of you. Uh, you know, uh, that would be like saying, if you, and I've heard this preached as well, if you're really missing the football game that badly, is it, are the Niners on today? What time? 10 o'clock? Sorry. <laughs> um, if you're really missing the Niners that much, <laughs> no, no. then just stay at home because you're, you're going to be distracted. You're not going to get anything out of it anyway. Wrong answer again. Sometimes we come because we know we're supposed to be there. And it may even be at that point somewhat dragging your feet, this type of thing. But the idea is you grow into a point where you don't want to miss being together in the Lord. That's what God is trying to build in us. But sometimes we have to get there. It's the same thing with our giving. I do believe there's a point in time where if you sincerely, even though giving is a difficult thing for you to do, you sit down between you and God and pray about it. Sometimes even seek counsel with a, a person that you trust who, who's been a Christian for a while and, 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 and say, how can I get to the, the point here? And we find a starting place where you can commit. And it may be difficult at times. You know, you're sitting there saying, <sighs> well, there goes Saturday night's dinner. No, uh, you know, but uh, uh, it's it, the idea is to be consistent with it. I believe God will honor that. Now, what he turns around and ta- talks about here, though, is this idea of, of, of God meeting your needs in a particular way. Uh, verse 8, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I was thinking about, you know, again, it sounds like if I give, God's going to give back to me in such a way of having all sufficiency. And then I thought, wait a minute, there's a catch here. In all things at all times that you may abound in what? Every good work. Everything that God calls you to be a part of God is going to supply a need for it. He's going to meet the need. I have, you know, somebody will say, I feel like I'm called to the mission field, but I I don't know how I'm going to get there or whatever. If that is really what God is doing, ultimately the needs will be provided at the exact right time for it to all come together. And so there's a sense of as you give, God's going to give back to you in a sense of being able to, to do His work. Uh, he'll increase, verse 10 says, uh, He'll increase your seed for sowing. Notice, for a purpose. For us to sow. Not for us to reap at this point. For us to sow. We, and, and He gives us more and we reap more. The only reason why He gave us more to reap was so that we could what? Sow on a bigger scale. And then he says, enriched so you can be more generous. Verse 11. You're being enriched so that you can be more 
generous. Does it mean that as things improve that you can't upgrade your lifestyle? No, it's not what's being said. Does it mean that you can't have some luxury item that someone else doesn't have because they're in a different financial package? No, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that as God has blessed you, have you seen that as something that you feel in your act of worship that you want to say back to him, thank you, through an act of worship and giving? The Macedonian said, you can't keep us from it. That's the attitude that God wants to see in us. When we see a need and He's given us the means to meet it, then as we pray about it, He'll I believe you bring the conviction. By the way, you know, uh, it's, it, we're told very distinctly there, I think it's in James, about praying. Uh, you know, someone comes up and has a need and they say, you say, oh, well, I'll pray for you, and you walk away, but you have the means to meet their need. You're in sin. You see... It's not ours. And actually, when it gets down to it, it has nothing to do with 10%. What, and I always come back to this, I guess, what is it that I deserve? Based on my track record, I know that I don't even deserve to be breathing. Why? Because I know I am a sinner and the wages of sin is death physically and spiritually separated from God. Long before I ever said, Lord, I don't know how to do this other than if you're real, I want to be in a relationship with you. It's obvious that there's something about this. It's where it started, very naive and and, and very shallow in a sense of of understanding. And, uh, you know, Prior to that, you know, it was it was me, and 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 I wasn't really interested in anything that, that God had at all. I de- I deserved death, but even there, He had a general plan of grace going on that I was inve- that I, that was allowing me to take another breath. Every one of us in here has took another breath after we first consciously, willingly sinned, knowing the difference between a right and wrong. We we got another breath, so we already started experiencing something about grace. Most of the people refer to that as a general context of grace, but, but, but still, that. At, at, at a point in time, God brings it into a very specific relationship and, and, and He lets me see what it cost Him to save me. You don't deserve anything, Bob, but you now have. <laughs> and I went from death to you now have life eternal with an inheritance that Christ will share with you for eternity. What's your response to that in an act of worship? Well, a surrender of myself. That's what he asks for. He asks for me to basically give myself to him. He has given himself for me. Now he says, give yourself to me. Die to yourself and live for me. Part of that has to do with our resources that God has given us. By the way, you notice that it's something. You go through all chapter 8, chapter 9, uh, look at chapter 16 of, of 1 Corinthians, um, a couple other places. It never, Paul never mentions the word money. I thought that was interesting. He talks about giving and, and giving of your resources. And I think that that's so that we understand it's not tied to just money alone. It's it's a it's a gift of, of of if you're giving yourself, God may choose to use you physically in some capacity. Maybe that you weren't ready for. Maybe you didn't even know God was going to use you for. <laughs> and and so when you surrender to God, it's not just your resources, but you're surrendering everything to Him. So, is it wrong for me to expect God to do something positive in response to my giving? No, I think it's it's okay to expect God to do something. But it's going to come in the category of blessing. In the sense of to be able to do the works that God, the good works that God has called us to do for the ability to sow so that, that it, you know, 
it can, it, there can be an increase in His kingdom, enriched so that we can be more generous. I put here, I thought it was interesting, that something that just kind of overwhelmed me. You'll hear me say, uh, as we pray for you know, somebody who is lost, and, and, and uh, we'll, I frequently use the phrase, God brings someone across the path of that knows you, that can influence them, that they'll listen to. And I might be praying for uh, a family member uh, down in Southern California. Well, there may be a grandparent in Southern California praying for their grandson here in Humboldt County. Maybe God will use me to be the answer to their prayer. I, what I'm trying to get at is, is that we pray for others and God bring, be willing to also be the answer to prayer. To be willing to be used to be the answer to prayer. And that has to do with our finances too. God uses our gift to bless and answer prayer for others. And as a result, Paul says, it causes extensive thanksgiving to go on in the church. As, as you're giving blesses and you get to hear about something that you've done for some other family or some other group or some other organization and they send you back a letter that says, thank you so much. We give thanks to God. You've increased that idea. You're increasing the idea of thanksgiving and worship uh, for God by your surrender. So let me kind of sum this up. I know I went all over the place with this. Our giving is a reflection of our thanksgiving on how God has blessed us. Something we should seek to do, not just wait to be asked, but that we should seek to do. It needs to be voluntary, not forced. It comes as a result of giving yourself to the Lord in, in a holistic kind of a way. And when it comes down to specific giving, for instance, in finances, that is a result of what has been decided between you and God and prayer. And if you're married, you and your spouse together uh, have decided. Our giving needs to be cheerful. And I put here for me just cheerful versus sorrowful. Regret, no, like I said, I could have. Not for personal gain, but with expecting that as you give now, God will supply for future giving. And all of our giving is seen as beginning with, with God, what He has given us in the first place. And that takes us to the greatest example, always again, what I pointed out, Christ giving Himself for us. The Macedonians were, it says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They surrendered to God, to the Lord, and the Lord opened their mind to do this with Paul. And I, and I look at that kind of, of, of thought and again, that, that idea. He uses Christ in, eight, in, in chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. And what we become rich in is the great hope of eternal life that we have. Now, uh, what we become rich in is the peace of being at peace with God. What we become rich in is knowing that we stand actually in God's favor. So much so that we can actually boldly come before His throne for His mercy and His grace. Again, do we deserve that opportunity? No, Christ did it for us. Because Christ entered into poverty, if you will, on our behalf so that we could enter into God's riches system. And I want to put it that way because I look at it and say, you know, God's economy is so different than ours. And I always, I, I use a, probably a, a, a somewhat poor image, but, but it gets the point across. We see in Revelation the streets are made of 
the temple and, and, and the city of Jerusalem have great jewels and great, you know. And the thing is that there's nobody around with jackhammers trying to get the gold up out of the street. There's, because God's economy is completely different. And, uh, you know, we've entered into that kind of a relationship where we trust that God will meet our needs according to what he calls us to do. And all of it's possible because Christ's commitment to give. And his commitment was, you know, something that happened before the foundation of the world. He knew what the price that he was going to pay, but even that he had to be sustained in. And isn't it interesting? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to cry out and ask God to sustain him for that. And 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 God ministered to him and and, and prepared him for the cross. gave himself for us and through the death, burial, and resurrection the ascension he was glorified in order and this is what's again amazing to share all that he has with us and uh, when we come to communion we look at gift there is a gift that God I believe is looking from us at the point of communion and it's been talked about so many times that I, I tend to be wearing it out, and I want to be careful with that, but it, 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 we should never grow tired of hearing it. And that's to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Our act of worship that is pleasing to God as we take communion is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. As He became our sacrifice, we now offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and say, God, what I have is Yours. What, what, what I am belongs to you and be willing to be like Isaiah and just say here I am send me and be prepared to say that if you see God doing that then trust that God's going to provide the means to do that as well that confidence but right now an opportunity is the communion's being passed out just that opportunity to say Lord I am yours cause me to surrender it all to you and give me that attitude of, of desire to hold nothing back and then learn how to do it. Yeah. So I ask the ushers to come and, and pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and uh, we'll share it together.
The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you, once your enemy. Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. There is nothing of judgment from God in wrath left to be taken care of. Jesus, thank you. But really, the awesome picture there, once your enemy, once I was estranged from you, once I was at odds with you, once I was not approach, I couldn't approach you. I was your enemy, and it wasn't that so much that God looking at me as as the enemy, but that I looked at him as the enemy. I didn't want anything to do with him. I, you know, once your enemy, now where am I? Well, today I'm seated at this table. Together, collectively, we're seated at this table through communion. But do you realize that the table that we're seated at eternally starts with the marriage feast where Christ will share with us again in the, in the cup and the bread? And, and, and He says, you know, that's the beginning of, of eternity, if you will. We have been given that because of what Christ has given for us. What He gave? Well, first off, He humbled Himself. He, he, be, he was all rich in every capacity you could think of and he became impoverished, if you will, on our behalf. He entered into the flesh. Even if he didn't enter into the flesh as the most wealthy king in the world, he would still have been impoverished compared to. But he literally entered into the world to the point where he would say, I don't have a place to lay my head. He came in the flesh for us. And he told us, through the Last Supper that He shared with His disciples before He was crucified, that the bread that we would share from that point on, the bread that He took and gave thanksgiving for at that dinner, from then on as we would share the bread together as a symbol of He came in the flesh. He was broken and torn for us. He asked us as often as we would do this that we would remember what He's done for us. Coming in the flesh is not what took care of our sin, though, by itself. It's the blood that He shed 
that He poured out on the cross that washed away our sins. This is what allowed us. This the symbol of, of, of His blood that we share here. The blood is what allowed us to transform from enemy to friend, from exiled to sitting at His table. And as we receive it, we do it in remembrance of Him until He comes again. Father, we come this morning to... You know, we say the, the words from the, even the song to say thank you. But we realize, Lord, that, that saying the words is to be a reflection of what has transpired in us. That as we have received your grace, as we have received your mercy, as we have received the blessing of being at peace with God, that the wrath is taken care of, that you have paid it all, as we receive that, that there is to be not only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but a transformation that the Holy Spirit starts to bring about in us. Lord, I know how little of me is surrendered to you on a full-time basis. But I know that it's, it's, it's not the same as it was before, you know, even years a few years ago. That there's more that you have of me. And I only can think of, again, the, the, the prayer request of Tozer. Building me the desire to desire you more and to want you more. And I know that that will be reflected in my giving myself more to you. And so each of us come to the best of our ability today, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, Lord. And ask that in the process of that, you will change our hearts change our minds, change the way we put things together, change our worldview so that we can see how much You have given for us and be willing to say, Lord, whatever You prosper us with, we know is Yours. Cause us to be the stewards You need us to be of that and and to be in agreement, Lord, with You about Your blessing has come to us. We thank You. And let our thank You be more than just the words, but the act of a submission and a surrender to You to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Transform us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.